0: been on the run for days now and I think I finally lost him. I'm in a secure location and finally alone. Oh, there you are. What are you doing? Come on upstairs. Supper's getting cold. Be right up. I grew up in the 60s, and it was the age of the superheroes. At least I was a kid during that time. And I remember in the third grade, the biggest show around was Batman, and all my friends were pretending to be Batman, you know, the Batmobile, the mask, the cape, Crusader. Not me. I never cared for Batman, Superman, any of those, you know, Captain America. Those were never my deal. I loved the spies, I loved the spy shows when I was a kid, and back in those days, it was the height of the Cold War, and there was I Spy and Man from Uncle, which is my personal favorite show, and and I loved those spies, and and I remember as a kid going around the house, you know, with dark shades on, and my gun in my holster, and my attache case that really was full of secret weapons, all made of plastic, but secret weapons nonetheless. There were guns, knives. You could push a, push a bullet, and bullets would uh, push a button, and bullets would come out of my attaché case. It was absolutely the perfect gadget to have, and I loved it. But the, my favorite spy of all, and I think I'm probably not alone in this, was not somebody on television. I love the guy in the movies, Bond, James Bond, and. As somebody said last night, especially Sean Connery, I mean, a lot of pretenders, but was there any other Sean Connery, you know, bond. And I loved him because he always, you know, was around in that cool Aston Martin, these perfectly tailored suits, beautiful women, exotic locations. You know, it's kind of funny when you read the history of real spies, most of them were in the exotic locations that Bond was in, but it sure made the movie a whole lot of fun. And, and it just seemed like, you know, perfect life. He had anything he wanted, and, and it was just, and he had a life full of secrets. Sometimes he would pretend to be somebody else, whole new identity, and, and it was just mega cool. And so as a kid, I looked at that and I thought, that's what I want to be. And, and it just seemed so attractive. You think about this when you get, you know, perfect clothes, fast cars, most beautiful women fantastic meals, and all on the government expense account. Of course, what I didn't know is that isn't the life of a spy. That's the life of a Washington politician, but I didn't, I, I, I didn't pick that up when I was a kid. It took me a few years on that one. But as I got older and I began to read the lives of real spies and undercover policemen, I discovered that it wasn't quite as glamorous as it looked to live a life of secrets, In fact, as I began to look at the lives of real spies, I saw that there were three things going on in their experience when they went undercover that made their lives very difficult. And the irony is, for all of us who have a secret life going on, which probably to some extent is about 100% of us, there are three things that we need to think about because those cross over into our lives. Real spies had to worry about three things. Number one, there was always the fear of being discovered. There was the fear of other people finding out who the person really was. And then there was the risk of losing everything associated with their real identity. Hey, never forget this. One of the greatest gifts that God has given you and me is a personal individual identity. Every human being is different from every other human being on the planet. Six billion people on the globe, and we don't share DNA with anybody else. You have an identity that was given to you, and 10 trillion years from now, you will still have that identity. But if you and I live a secret life like spies, we have the risk of losing everything that's associated with our individual identity. Some of you may have seen the movie Donnie Brasco. Donnie Brasco is the story of a a real-life FBI agent named Joe Pistone. And he went undercover and infiltrated the Joseph Bonanno crime family. And he was personally responsible for bringing down hundreds of organized crime figures. And for years, he pretended to be an organized crime figure so well that he he was very successful. But in the process, if you saw the movie or if you've read his story, it put great stress upon his family and it just about brought his life down. So there's the fear of being found out. There's the risk of losing everything associated with your personal identity. And then there's the loneliness of pretending to be someone you're not. You know, when you think about it, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. Take that last thing for a moment. If you and I pretend to be somebody we're not, instantly there is distance between us and other people because there's the fear of being found out. And the more we pretend, the more loneliness we experience. For the next five weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about my secret life and your secret life. Because whether you have a secret life that's so big that if you were found out, it would make the eagle, or if on the other hand, there's just a part of you that you visit every once in a while that nobody else knows about, whether it's something that small or if it's something huge. I know one thing about you and me. Deep down inside, we crave to be authentic. We so want to be ourselves, to not have to think about what we said sometime in the past because we can always say what's really on our heart. And we don't have to pretend to be somebody we're not. We don't have to feel bad that we don't look a particular way. The joy of being absolutely authentic. So for five weeks, I want to talk to you about that. Today, is probably the darkest of all the messages, so if it's too dark, please come back and hear the ones to come, because we're going to come up for air pretty soon, and it's going to be exciting. Today, I'm going to talk about going undercover. Next week, you know, if you've ever thought, why do I have this tension going on inside of me? I've got this inner battle going on. If you've ever wondered if that's real, it is real, and next week, we're going to talk about it in a message called Cold War. One of my personal favorite messages is one coming up that's called Double Agent. Week four is Master of Disguise, and week five is coming in from the cold. So all five weeks, we're going to be talking about my secret life, and we're going to be thinking about what it would be like to be absolutely authentic. Today, let's talk about going undercover. When a spy or when a policeman goes undercover, they begin to don a different identity than their true identity. At some point, they make a conscious decision, whether it's through their own volition or through the assignment of their superiors. There is a decision that they are not gonna be the person that they were before. They're going to go undercover. I think sometimes you and I go undercover. Other people that we know go undercover. Public figures go undercover, and they live a secret life. And at some point, it blows up on them. For instance, Tiger Woods, there is a guy who led a secret life. You know, I looked at Tiger. I watched him from the time he was an amateur until he went pro and won all those major tournaments and I looked at him and I thought, man, if there ever was an athlete who had it all together, it's Tiger Woods. Easily, easily, in an individual sport, the most talented human being I'd ever seen in my life. And he worked very hard at his craft so that there was like Tiger and there was everybody else. I knew if I watched a tournament, whether it was a regular tournament or a major, I knew it was going to be Tiger and everybody else. And any golfer who had a three-stroke lead on Tiger on Sunday, (laughs) you knew it didn't mean very much. And not only was he so good, earning potential off the charts, billions of dollars were potentially his. Beautiful wife, great family, we all looked at Tiger and said, he's got it going on. But then came last Thanksgiving and the next thing you know, tigers lying unconscious in the street and there's something about a golf club and there's, we're not sure who swung it or what they were swinging at. Secret life. Martha Stewart, another example of somebody who lived a, a secret life. So today we're gonna be talking about that and we're gonna ask a couple of questions. The first question that we're gonna ask is, why do people lead secret lives? Why do we lead secret lives? I want to give you five statements that I think sum up why people lead secret lives. And by the way, it's kind of funny because I'm at the age where I'm not wearing, you know, bond shades anymore. I'm wearing readers. So let me put those on. I think there are five, five statements that people are making why they go into cover. Number one is I might get into trouble. Th- that's Tiger's situation. That's the reason he didn't confess to his wife was he knew if he did, he might get into trouble. And many of us are in that same boat. Or it could be that someone is saying, I lead a secret life because if you knew who I was, you might not like me. Maybe people lead a secret life because they're saying, I might not get what I want. I couldn't be with this guy. I couldn't be with this gal. I couldn't have this job. I couldn't hang with these friends. If I was who I really was, then I might not get what I want. So I have to be somebody different to get what I want. Here's a big one. A lot of people are not who they really are because they're saying, if I was who I really was, you might laugh at me. Lord knows, I think Americans can take just about anything except somebody somebody laughing at them. Or number five, there are people that hide and never really use their gifts and talents because they're afraid that if they ever came to center stage, I might fail. And so they're willing to just sit on the bench and never know what they could have done or could have been because there is this fear of failure. So those are the five statements. Let me go over them again. I think people hide because they're saying I might get into trouble, you might not like me, I might not get what I want, you might laugh at me, I might fail. Do any of those resonate with you? Some of them do with me. I mean, first of all, I think we've all been at number one, right? I might get into trouble, and so I hide, Well, with that in mind today, I want to take you to the Bible because it was important to me to look at this from the Bible's perspective, and I wanted to find some character in the Bible that led a secret life. And so I started thinking, who in the Bible led a secret life? And I didn't have to go very far. All I had to do was go to the third chapter of the Bible to the very first human beings who ever lived. Their names were Adam and Eve. You know the story that God created Adam. He made Eve, put them in a garden side by side to live. And God gave them a perfect existence. They could have anything they wanted to eat from the garden. They had no sorrow, no sickness, no pain. There was no verbal abuse. There was no struggle, power struggle going on. The way God created human beings, we were never created to know the dark side. But remember this, that for God to create real human beings, it was important for him to give us a choice. If God had never given us a choice, and every once in a while people ask me this question, listen. well, Mark, listen, if God knew we were going to sin, and sin was going to bring all the bad stuff into the world, then why did God even give us the potential to sin? Well, God didn't want to make robots. I mean, here's the thing. If you want somebody to love you and that person has no choice, he or she has to love you, is that real love? So when God put our first parents in the garden, he gave them this instruction. He said, you can have anything you want in the garden except there's one tree, I want you to leave it alone. And people said, well, what's the deal with the tree and the fruit? Well, they were in a garden, so if God's gonna set up a choice, it makes pretty good sense. And he said to them, I don't want you to eat of this fruit because if you do, for the first time, you're gonna know the dark side. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Up to that point, they'd only known good. And God said, I don't want you to know the dark side. I'm sure Adam and Eve had no idea what they were getting into when they broke God's law. But God had been real clear saying not to do it. And so, I don't know, I mean, I'm guessing that they probably stood there and looked at the tree every once in a while. And Adam said, I wonder what would happen if we tried this. And Eve said, yeah, it was kind of interesting, but I'm kind of scared, I don't know. But one day, here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Okay, that is the first time anybody ever did anything wrong in the Bible. Now, I'm gonna read the rest of this particular section of the Bible to you and I'm gonna ask you to watch for three things because when you and I experience wrong or dysfunction in our lives, we tend to follow this same plan. So I'm gonna read it to you and I'm gonna ask you to look at it when we come across it. Okay, here we go. The eyes of both were open, verse 7, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. Note that, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid, look at that, that's the second thing, hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There's the second thing again. And he, that's God, said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, mark that, that's the third thing. The woman you, the woman you put here, isn't it great? Adam finally discovered why he had two hands. He could blame God with one and Eve with the other. I'm asking you ladies, have men changed in all these years? It's not my fault. Can't you just see him? I don't know how this happened. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, you've got to be really old to remember this. What, Flip Wilson, you sell the time? The devil made me do it. Okay? There you go. Hide, cover, Blame. Now, first of all, let us realize that people don't go undercover because everything is going great. If everything is going great in your life, you're perfectly glad for anybody to take a look at what's going on in your life. If, if you don't have any bad habits, if there's not anything really bad that you're doing and, and you're just, you know, happy with your decisions and, and you're living a life of, of ethics and, and obeying God and in, in your life is just filled with good works and charitable deeds, you don't want to go undercover. Like Jesus said, you know, you let your light shine. And if everybody's treating you well and nobody's putting you down and nobody's making you feel like a loser and everybody's, you know, encouraging you, who wants to go undercover in a life like that? You say, Mark, I don't know. I've never had a life like that. Yeah, right. Nor have I. Like our first parents, Adam and Eve, we do things that are wrong. And on top of that, many of us have experienced things that have been done wrong to us. And because things are not right, we start to go undercover. Let, let me let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. H- have you ever seen a child who's perfectly confident in his or herself? Have you ever watched them? They can do the goofiest stuff. Stuff that really would make people laugh, but they can do the goofiest things. And their whole attitude is isn't this cool? but you watch that same child after others have laughed at him and put him down or made her feel like a loser and you watch that child shrink back up it is that very concept that stays with us all of our lives that when something is wrong whether we do it or someone does it to us it is our nature to do these three things and this is what we do when we go into cover and the first one is we hide hiding says i'm not showing up something is wrong I'm just not showing up. That may happen with some of you here today. It may be, Maybe you're in a marriage, and you're just not showing up anymore, or at least the real you isn't showing up. I'm just not showing up. I'm just withdrawing. Maybe it's happening with some of you at work. Something's not right, and you're not showing up. You may actually not be showing up physically, or it could be that you're showing up physically, but you're not there mentally, and it's I'm hiding as human beings, when we hide because things are wrong, we can hide in a lot of different ways. We can hide by not accepting opportunities. I, I was talking to a teacher of mine, and, and I happened to run, have lunch with him, and he was a high school teacher of mine and, and, and very influential, and, and actually he was my, my debate coach. And we were talking about a friend, the most gifted young man in our group was given a full-ride scholarship, and he was on his way to, to being very successful, but for some reason, he just dropped out. I, I think there, there are some of us who hide from opportunities. God, put, God puts opportunities on the table for us, but, but we're hiding because something is wrong. We hide. I'm not showing up. But that doesn't last for very long, just like it didn't last for Adam and Eve, because you know at some point you're going to have to interact with other human beings, You know, the only way you can truly hide is to go to a desert island, but those things really don't exist in real life, because you are going to have your family there, you are going to have your friends, they're going to enter, something's wrong, either something you're doing or something that somebody's done to you, and your first inclination is to hide and not show up, but you're saying, that isn't practical. So I've got to go from I'm not showing up to when you look at me, you're not really seeing the real me, you're seeing someone else. I've got to cover to make you think you're seeing something that you're not really seeing. That's what Adam and Eve did. They realized they were naked and hiding wasn't enough, and they sewed fig leaves together to make little aprons for themselves. At the risk of being indelicate, fig leaf coverings provided two problems. Number one, they were inadequate. And secondly, there were little stickers on these leaves. They were painful. I'm just going to leave that real quickly and move on. (laughs) But you know, that translates. Because anytime you and I try to cover up what's not right in our lives, it's always going to be inadequate and it's always going to be painful. Covering up is pretending. I've got to be somebody else because if I was who I really am, I might get into trouble or you might not like me or you might laugh at me. So I've got to come up with some kind of disguise. I've got to come up with some facade. I've got to come up with a a person that's not really here. I I know that many of you are way too young to remember this actor, but there was a very famous actor in in the first part, first half of the 20th century. His name was Cary Grant. His name, he really wasn't named Cary Grant. His real name was Archie Leach. He had grown up in a very dysfunctional, poor household ran away basically joined the circus came to the united states over time he became an actor but the actor he became for those of you who never saw any of his pictures he was very suave he was very sophisticated he spoke almost perfectly john kennedy loved to just call Cary grant up on the phone and just get Cary grant to talk anything he said president kennedy just wanted to hear the man talk he was mr perfection he was the george clooney of his era You know what Cary Grant said? He said, everybody wants to be Cary Grant. I want to be Cary Grant. And many of us know what that's like. You know, the person that everybody else gets to see, we put on in the morning. We put that person on. And it's not who we really are. And and, and after a while, we get stressed out just trying to keep this pretense going. All the time knowing, someday, I'm going to be found out. Someday there's going to be this moment of confrontation. Just as when God came and found Adam and Eve, someday I'm going to have to look in the mirror or somebody is going to catch me or somebody somebody is going to find me out. And by the way, for those of us who have lived a secret life like that, isn't that a terrifying existence? And so we have one more thing that we do. We do what Adam and Eve did. If you read that story with me in real time, just as we did a few moments ago, it seems like Adam and Eve tried to hide, they tried to cover, and it's like at the last minute when God met them, Adam said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to blame Eve. And Eve said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to blame the serpent. You think it really happened like that? I don't. I think that was a card they kept up their sleeve. Obviously, they didn't have sleeves, but, I mean, you know what I'm saying. And I think we do the same thing. I think Adam had planned it out. He thought, I don't know, will God ever come calling? Maybe he will. But if he does, I'm going to play the blame card. And I think we do the same thing. We're ready. Right now we're living a secret life. Something's wrong. It's something we're doing. Something that somebody's done to us. But we're somebody we're not. And deep down inside we're thinking, maybe I'll get by with this. But in case I don't, I'm ready. I can say, you know what? My mom and dad made lots of mistakes when they were raising me. You know what percentage of the population can honestly say that? About 100. You know, I don't know what it is. I just seem to find the wrong guys. I just seem to find the wrong gals. It's like they just come to me. I, I don't, it's not my fault. And we play that card. You know what's interesting to me about when Adam and Eve blamed? God never contradicted them. God never said, to my knowledge, God never said, oh, Adam, it's, you're not right. It wasn't Eve. God didn't change. He didn't, he didn't confront him and say, you're wrong. Because technically, and this is very important for all of us today, technically, each was right. My guess is that if you and I blame someone, technically, we're right sometimes. Maybe there were things in our upbringing that affected us negatively. Maybe we did find the wrong mate. Maybe maybe life wasn't fair. Maybe the police had it in for us. I don't know. Technically, there could be something right about that, but always remember this about blaming. It doesn't change anything. With Adam and Eve, even though they were right, it did not change the circumstances. What do you do if you're leading a secret life today? Now, for the next four weeks, I'm going to give you a whole lot more, but I just want to Give you some thoughts here. What do you do if you're leading a secret life? Well, at this point, we're going to put a fork in here because we're going to say, let's talk about the first aspect of this. Let's say that it's something that you're doing that's wrong and you know it. You have a secret life going on and there's something you're doing. Maybe you're a guy and you're using pornography. Maybe you're seeing somebody and that person means that you're cheating on your spouse or the person that you're committed to? Or maybe you're doing some deals and maybe it's kind of legal but you'd have a hard time explaining it to your kids. This time it's something you're doing and you're trying to keep it hidden. What do you do if it's something you're doing? Because let me me say this before I go into the, the answer. What happens to us when we're doing something wrong and we're leading a secret life? We really don't want to be secret, but we're saying to ourselves, what would happen to me if I get found out? What would it cost me? Isn't it true that most of the time we're thinking about what is it going to cost me in terms of the people? What if my wife found out about this? What if my husband found out about this? What if my boss found out about this? What if my parents found out about this? Could I just gently suggest to all of us that that's the wrong question to ask? Because listen to what the Bible says. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we're accountable. Well, it's certainly true that when we do wrong, it hurts other people, but the Bible says that ultimately the issue is not between ourselves and the other people Ultimately, the issue is between ourselves and God. And what scripture reminds us is even though your husband may not know what you're doing, or your wife may not know what you're doing, or your parents may not know what you're doing, or your teacher may not know what you're doing, your friends may not know what you're doing, God is watching every bit of it. And for us to live a secret life when really deep down inside we know God is watching everything we're doing, that is basically flipping God off. And the Bible says in the final analysis, God is the one we should be concerned about. Well, somebody can say, well, Mark, you are scaring me to death. Okay, well, this will help, all right? In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, this has been one of the most important verses in my life, and I want to give it to you in two translations, actually a translation and a paraphrase. The Bible says this, he who covers his sins shall not prosper. Well, if we were to put that in modern-day language, it would be like this. Anybody who leads a secret life, it's not going to end well. So in other words, if I try to hide and lead a life that's not real, what I'm trying to do isn't going to be successful ultimately. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But look, look at this. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Here's what the message says. You can't whitewash your sins and get by with it. You find mercy by admitting and leaving them. First of all, let's take that word mercy for a moment. Because see the reason why we don't come to God and say God, I'm really leading a secret life is we're afraid that God is going to give us justice. But the Bible says if we will admit our sins and leave our sins, then God will give us mercy. Let's let's understand for a moment what the word mercy means. There are two words in the Bible that are very close to each other. Grace and mercy. Sometimes the Bible will talk about grace and mercy being extended to us. If you want to know what the difference between the two is, grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. How many of us here today could say, honestly, I've experienced God's grace in my life. God has given me so much that I don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And Scripture says, that if we will come out from cover, if we will confess our sin, the Greek word there is homo lego. It's actually two words put together. Homo means the same. Lego means to speak. If we will say the same thing about our sin that God says, and then if we've turned from our sins, the Bible says God will give us mercy. Huge. This is not a great illustration, but it's the one that I, only one I can think of right now. When I was about eight or nine years old, my parents bought me a, a new suit. And you got to realize the times. I mean, if you've ever seen, like, pictures of rock bands in the 60s, then you know what my suit looked like. It was stovepipe legs and narrow collars, and, or lapels, rather. And, and it was, you know, we wore bright, bright colors back then. And this suit was copper, but it was so copper it was orange. It was like it, when the light hit it, it just lit up Fort Worth. I mean, it was that kind of suit. And my, I wasn't crazy about it because I wasn't crazy about suits, but my mom and dad loved the suit. They were just crazy about it. They were always after me when I go to church. We wore suits back then. They said, so wear, wear that suit, you know. And, and But one day we were eating, and I was eating apple pie, and I dropped it in my lap, and the pie just went all over my suit. Well, I didn't know anything about dry cleaning. I thought it was forever ruined. I looked at it. I mean, it just stained with the apple pie. Instead of me going to my parents and telling them what I did, you know what I did? I just like wadded it up and stuck it in the bottom of my drawer and after a few weeks my dad said where's the suit and i said you know now i'm starting to hide i've already hidden i'm starting to cover and i'm saying well you know i just wanted to wear this one today i didn't feel like wearing the suit just didn't feel like wearing orange and, and on and on it went, and I kept lying and lying and lying to my parents. And finally one day, I remember I felt so guilty about what I had done. I took that suit, and by now it not only had the problem of having apple pie all over it, it was like it had a trillion wrinkles. And I finally took it to my dad, and I said, Dad, the truth of the matter is I got pie on this suit. I know it's ruined, but it's my fault, and I did it. And Dad said, Well, that's not a problem. We'll just take it to the dry cleaners. That was my first experience. I couldn't believe when it, when it came back, it was all pressed and it looked like it had, you know, looked in the store shelf. And, and, and what, what stands out to me about that experience was, in my mind, it was all ruined. And my dad said, that's not a problem for me. You see, when we do wrong and we lead a secret life, we hide and we think, I can't possibly bring this to God. But you have to remember that God is the one who knows what to do with your sin, he put his son on a cross to pay for it. And what is a problem for you is not a problem or a stretch for him. One more thing let's take the other part of the fork. Suppose that the secret life you're leading today isn't necessarily because of something that you're doing wrong all that much. Maybe you've got talents and gifts and dreams inside of you, but maybe there was a point where somebody just kicked them out of you. Maybe somebody made you feel like a loser. They said you were fat, you were dumb, you were slow. And maybe there was somebody in your life that just pressed you down all the time, and now here you are and you're saying, I've got to pretend to be somebody else because I have been told all my life I'm a loser. Let me just tell you something. You are who God made you to be. You look like God wanted you to look. You have gifts and goals and dreams and plans inside of you that God crafted specifically for you. Six billion people on the planet, not a single one of us is like anybody else. You were made by your creator to glorify God and be who you are. It is so easy to think if I had his brains, if I had her looks, if I had her opportunities, if I had his upbringing, if I had her money, no. This one I'm through. In the most famous story perhaps in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, David and Goliath, you know the story how that Israel was under attack. And Goliath was this gargantuan nine-foot-tall soldier, freak of nature basically, who would come out and taunt Israel every day. And in order really to strike terror in their hearts, he would say, there's no reason for our armies to fight each other and to have all that carnage. You just send your best man out here, and he and I will go mano a mano, and we'll fight, and if I win, my whole side wins. If your guy wins, your whole side wins. He knew nobody was going to take him on. And the Israelites just sat still in their tents. Have you ever tried to pretend you didn't hear something that you heard? I mean, there's King Saul. He's seven foot tall, but he's not taking on this guy. And along comes David. His only experience has been he's a shepherd. He's a teenage kid. He, his deal is a slingshot. His, throughout his time of keeping sheep, he has honed his slingshot. and He can knock the left eye of a gnat out at 100, 100 paces. That's just the kind of guy he is. And David walks into camp. He hears the taunts of Goliath. And he says, hey, why do we let this guy talk like this? Somebody ought to do something about this. David's brothers, embarrassed that he shut off his mouth, they verbally abused him and said, Get on back with the sheep. David said, Nah, something needs to be done, and I'm willing to do it. And one of my favorite parts of the story, David was brought before King Saul. And King Saul said, Well, son, I'm proud of you that you're willing to go out and fight this guy, but you're going to need some armor. Put my armor on David. Now, imagine that. You got a teenage kid and a man who's seven feet tall. He could have played center for the Lakers. And all of a sudden, this heavy armor is being placed on David, and David is saying, I can't move. Throughout my life, I've thought about that. And when somebody tries to make me be something that I'm not, I always call it Saul's armor. I'm wondering here today, who's here today and you can't move because people have tried to put their armor on you. People have tried to project onto you their description of what you need to be successful. But the only problem is you can't move in it and it's not you anymore. David said, I can't use this. I'll have got as a bag of rocks. You know what? <laughs> if you've got a bag of rocks that you and that God can use, you can go giant tipping. It's personal for me today, because 25 years ago today I came to this town. And I woke up this morning, and it was the first thing I thought about. A lot of those, that's a long time. I mean, I'm 53, and there was a two in front of my age when I moved here. And I thank God for his goodness in my life, and I was instantly thankful for getting to serve the greatest people in the world. But I thought about this part of the talk. I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not, but I'm kind of iconoclastic as a pastor. I'm probably not the normal pastor. I mean, I, always, I was insecure about that for a long time. Because pastors always, the guys that I saw, they had perfectly combed hair, and they wore ties and matching handkerchiefs, and carried their Bibles and had deep, sonorous voices. You know, if you're here and you can tell, I mean, I'm doing a series called My Secret Life with a spy theme behind me. I'm not normal. But, you know, I got thinking about this. Maybe all I've had through the years is a bag of rocks, but it's been me. And what I've discovered is the more of Saul's armor I've gotten off me and the freer I've been to be who God made me to be, even though there's no explanation for it, God has done some giant tipping. That's exactly what he wants to do in your life. You need to be who you are. Shake off Saul's armor. You don't have to be what people tell you you ought to be. You be who God made you to be. You be you. There's no other you. Here's the thing. If you're somebody else, there's nobody here to be you. You be who you are. And you use the gifts and the talents and the skills that God made from you. You don't need to hide. You don't need to cover. And surely you don't need to blame. Just come out and say, I'm going to be the person God made me to be. And the world will never be the same because of what God does in you and through you. Thank you for being here today. Let's pray. A few moments ago, we talked about how the Adam and Eve did wrong. And at that point, we were all in their gene pool. And because they did wrong, you and I came under their judgment. But God loved us so much, he didn't want to punish us. And he put his son on a cross and punished him instead. People have wondered through the years who crucified Jesus. Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? And the answer is very simple. It was God. God. God punished his own son to keep from punishing you and me. And he puts an offer on the table of mercy and grace to be forgiven of every sin, to be adopted into God's family, and have all that as a gift. God is a gentleman. He won't force himself on anyone. You must receive the gift. Maybe for the first time in your life, you just realize that it's not religion. It's not you trying to live a good life. It's the fact that God punished Jesus so that He wouldn't have to punish you. And you're ready now to receive God's gift of everlasting life and forgiveness. You know, it just need you just need a yes. I'm going to pray a prayer, and these aren't magic words, but it's a big yes. And the important thing is what you mean in your heart. And I'm going to pray it slowly so you can repeat the lines with me because I want you to think about them long enough to really mean them in your heart. But if you mean it, God will listen. You ready? Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you punished Jesus for my sins. I receive your grace, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your mercy. Thank you for making me God's child. In Jesus' name.